Good morning, everybody. Man, good response. I don't know. That bodes well. That bodes well for the rest of the talk today. Um, did everybody have a good Thanksgiving? I had a great Thanksgiving. Um, I probably gained about 10 pounds, so that's okay, though. That means it was really good Thanksgiving, right? Um, I think back to young, Thanksgiving when I was younger. We'd always go around the table, say some things we were thankful for. As Jonathan just read, I'm going to be preaching through a, a psalm of Thanksgiving this morning. Um, I'd love to hear some things that you guys are thankful for. Kids, anything you're thankful for, just let me know. Shout them out. Or grown-ups. What? Cooler weather. Love it. Anybody else? Something you're thankful for. Grandkids, family. Good health. Summer. Summer. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. We got a lot to be thankful for, right? And uh, that's what we're going to talk about that a little bit today. Um, when I think about things that I'm thankful for, um, a lot comes to mind, but a specific instance comes to mind. A few months ago, about once a month, we do a, a soul care uh, with our staff uh, here and the staff in Fort Worth, and Matt or Ryan, Pastor Ryan will lead those. Um, and there was one specific gathering where we were meeting, and uh, he wanted us to list out a bunch of things that we were thankful for, not just like like some of the things that you listed, like, I'm thankful for God, I'm thankful for my wife, I'm thankful for my family. He said he wants us to list out things that are specifically gifts from the Lord that we just get to enjoy, right? And so he made us write down some things. I remember my list, it had some things like, I did have my wife on there, um, Cassidy, just to make sure you know that. Um, I had college football, I had cold weather, I had outdoors, I had campfires, um, I had drinks on there. And so he made us explain one specific one, and so I said, uh, man, I love drinks. I like a hot cup of coffee in the morning. I like a cold Dr. Pepper or an ice cold water after mowing the yard or working out or something like that. I love, uh, I just love drinks, right? I, I love that the Lord gave us those. And Ryan made a comment. He was being kind of silly, but it really, it really made me think. He was like, yeah, if you think about it, God could have made water taste bad. It could have been bitter. It could have been gross, and we need it to live and survive, but he didn't. He made it satisfying. He made it refreshing. And so as I was just thinking about that, his kind of, you know, off-the-cuff comment, um, I was like, man, God, God is so good to us in the way that he blesses us, the ways that he loves us, the way that he pursues us, the things that he gives us. He doesn't just give us what we need, but he gives us things in abundance. He gives us things in plenty, and he gives it from the overflow of his heart, right? And so what I've noticed you know, after that moment and, and plenty of other moments, man, when we're together and we're worshiping, in those moments when I feel so grateful for the Lord, for the, the blessing that he gives us, I've noticed that I'm really just one flat tire, one long day at work, one argument or one tough conversation away from not being very grateful, <laughs> from woe is me, from God, what is going on? Why? Why don't you love me? Why are you not giving me what I need right now, right? It's such a quick perspective change, a quick shift in thinking for me. Um, and it's, I just quickly forget the countless blessings, the countless provision that the Lord has given me. And I think a lot of us fall into that same category a lot of time. We very easily ebb and flow with our circumstances um, of what's going on in that moment. And man, I, I don't want to be like that, right? I want to have a heart of gratitude. Um, and when we th I think about gratitude, I think a lot of times we maybe simplify it. I think 
Yeah, I'm not always the most grateful, but it's not that big a deal. But I want to read a quote for you guys. I think it'll be on the screen um, from Nancy Lee DeMoss in her book, uh, Choosing Gratitude. And uh, she says, the consequences of an ungrateful spirit are not as readily seen as, say, those of a contagious disease, but they are no less deadly. Western civilization has fallen prey to an epidemic of ingratitude. Like a poisonous vapor, the subtle sin is polluting our lives, our homes, our churches, and our culture. Man, I think about that, and I think, man, having an ungrateful heart is maybe a lot more serious uh, than I first thought. I think when we have a gratitude problem, we also have a sin problem. We have a heart problem. And I think uh, John Piper, he defined his definition of sin, he likes to use is preferring anything above Christ, yeah. right? And so when I think about it that way, I think, man, when I'm not grateful, um, it's probably because I have an idol of comfort or I have an idol of self and something's not gone the way that I want it to. And I turn to serving those idols rather than serving my Lord, my King, Jesus, right? And so I want us to take it seriously. I want us to look at um, gratitude, right? And Psalm 100, is, it says at the top, it's a psalm of thanksgiving. It's also a psalm that's the last in a group of eight psalms that kind of points to um, and looks at the, the reign and the kingship of Christ, of our Savior. And so my prayer for us this morning is that as we look at Psalm 100, we will be reminded of what we have to be thankful for in our King, in Jesus, right? And so I want to read uh, the, the verses one more time real quick. Don't worry, I'm not reading 40, chat, 40 verses in Judges, just five here in Psalms. Um, but I want to I read that real quick. Let's look at it again, and then we'll jump right into it. Psalm 100, Psalm of Thanksgiving. Let the whole earth shout triumphantly to the Lord. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us, and we are his, his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name, for the Lord is good and his faithful love endures forever. His faithfulness through all generations. So, as we look at these verses, um, I don't want to look through it through the lens of how we can be more grateful or ways to practice gratitude, but I want to look through it the lens of what all we have to be grateful for and who we have to be grateful in. As I mentioned, you know, these verses referencing uh, the kingship of God, the kingship of Christ, um, I want us to look at what about our king that we have to be grateful for. So, I want to start in, in verse 3. There's several commands that were given throughout the, the passage, but in verse 3, there's a command. He says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. And it says, he made us, and we are his. So uh, Trevin Wax, he, uh, he does a lot of things, but he, he writes uh, articles for uh, the Gospel Coalition. Um, and he, he talks about this specific verse, and he says, he's convinced this is the most offensive verse in the Bible. Acknowledge that the Lord is God, he made us, and we are his. Seems face value pretty harmless, right? But the reason he says this is when presented with the truth, and we have one of two options, right? Acknowledge that the Lord is God. You are either going to receive this or you're going to reject it, right? He is either Lord or he's not, right? And so this is a divisive verse that requires 
requires action, right? When we're commanded to do something, we have a choice to make. And this isn't a, yeah, I'm going to go about halfway. I'm pretty sure uh, the Lord is God, right? No, he says, acknowledge that the Lord is God. So you either receive it and walk in it, or you reject it and turn from it, right? The cool thing is, right, God doesn't need you to acknowledge that he is Lord for it to be true, because nothing about him, nothing about God, um, who he is, is contingent upon you or contingent upon me, right? And right after he says, acknowledge that the Lord is God, he says, he made us and we are his. In some other translations where it says, and we are his, it'll say, and not we ourselves. So it'll read, he made us and not we ourselves, right? And so it's a simple reminder. Man, you acknowledge that the Lord is God. He is creator. We are creation. He's in control. And we are not. And that's good, right? That's a good thing. I think about my life week to week, all the things that I try to maintain and keep control, I can't do it, right? But he is in control and we are not, right? And the reason we can be grateful for that is because our king is the king of kings, right? He is the preeminent one. He is above all. He is before all. He's the alpha, the omega. He answers to nobody, right? He is the king of kings, right? And that's why in verse one, it says, shout triumphantly to the Lord. And we with confidence can shout triumphantly to the Lord, not because on that specific day, we just finished Thanksgiving and I'm, I'm feeling particularly grateful. My family's all around me. The Cowboys got a win this week and life is good, right? No, it's not based on our circumstance. It's based on our King Jesus and because he has triumphed over sin, he has triumphed over death and we have victory in our King, right? We are on the winning side. We are on the winning side, and I need, to, I need to remind myself of that daily, right? Every single day, I've got to be reminded of the gospel, of the truth, and the good news that we have victory in Jesus. Yeah. Hard turn here. Each one of us has a, a social media of our choice, right? Um, for me, it's Twitter. Um, for some of you, you don't get on social media at all. You probably think you're better than us. Um, <laughs> you are. You actually are. You're better than us. Um, but, but for me, I, I enjoy looking at Twitter, mostly for sports, but, you know, it, it's inevitable. If I'm on Twitter, um, I'll scroll and I'll see a political post or I'll see someone arguing about something, and it isn't but a second or two before in my head I'm, like, frustrated or I'm like, how could someone think that? That's so crazy or that's evil or that's just so hateful. Why would you think that, right? And it, it doesn't take long for me to just get caught up in this cycle of, like, oh, my gosh, what what has the world gone to, right? We're in trouble, Right? I'm not remembering that, man. We are on the winning side. We, um, we know how the story ends. We know that Christ has won, right? And so in those moments, man, when I come to cl- have some clarity, I'm, I'm so grateful to know and remember that, man, my allegiance is not to uh, this political party or to this candidate or to this ideology or to this country even, right? But my allegiance is to Christ, right, the victorious king who is unlike anybody else. That's where our allegiance lies if we are Christians to Christ, man. He is not like anyone else, right? And the Israelites, they knew this. You know, you think back to Exodus 15. Um, this is right after the Israelites have been brought out of Egypt. Okay, so the Lord sends the plagues. He brings them out of Egypt. Moses leads them. They parts the Red Sea. They come across. And the, the start of chapter 15 is uh, subtitled, Israel's song, and it's this long song of praise to the Lord. In one verse particular, in verse 11, it says, Lord, who is like you among the gods? 
Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? The answer is nobody, right? But they're singing this. They're praising the God for, for what he has done, right? But what happens next, okay? Literally three verses after the song is over, it says they grumbled. Man, how quick are they to forget what the Lord has done? Does that sound familiar? They grumbled, right? Look what God has done. Who is like you, God? Nobody. Who is like you, glorious in holiness, revered with praises, performing wonders? Oh, my gosh, we should have stayed in Egypt. We got food there. We were slaves. We were servants, but at least we had food. We had somewhere to sleep, right? And so I remember being younger, and I'm reading about the Israelites, and you see, man, they're grumbling. They're like, we don't have any food. God sends a manna. What is this? What is it? Like, we want something else. We had pots of meat whenever we were in Egypt, and then we don't have water. Like, where are we going? Grumbling, complaining. And you're like, oh, my gosh. He just sent plagues to soften the heart of Pharaoh so you would be released from slavery. And then he parted a literal sea so you could walk through it. And he's got a cloud of smoke and a cloud of fire that leads you. He drops bread from heaven every day for you. He brings water from a rock in the desert. And all you guys can do is complain and grumble. Like, how dumb can you be? You know, that's what I thought when I'm, when I'm younger and I'm reading this. Like, you fools. Like, God is going to take care of you. God is going to take care of you. And then all of a sudden, like a wave, it's like this sobering realization of like, oh, I'm the Israelites. And then you start to think, well, I mean, I wouldn't want to eat manna every day either. I can see where they're coming from. I can see why they complain, right? But the truth is, man, we are the exact same way. We like to tell other people, man, God's going to take care of you. God's got you. And then for us, it's, it's different, right? Man, I want, it, I want it this way. I need it this way, right? And I, want to, I meant to say this at the beginning, but um, I know a lot of us or some of us have been walking through really hard times or have stuff going on, and I don't want to, I don't want to minimize our struggles and the things that we walk through because uh, life is hard, sin is real, consequences of sin is real, whether it's our own sin or somebody else's sin against us. And so I don't want this to come across as, um, man, just put on a smile and grin and bear it and, and you'll be okay, right? Um, I hope this comes from a place of, uh, man, God is real, God is Lord, and he will take care of you. It might not feel the way or manifest itself in the way that we want it to, but we can trust that he is king and he is on his throne, right? And he, he's in control, right? And we're not, right? So back to where I was. The, the, that realization of, man, I am the Israelites. Like, not only are they quick to forget what the Lord has done, we also, Nick Storm also, is quick to forget what the Lord has done. But I love the way that he responds to us just like he responds to the Israelites, right? He continues to provide and he continues to lead them, right? He doesn't say, all right, figure it out. Find the promised land yourself, right? Or figure out the food and the water yourself. No, daily for 40 years, he provides and provides and provides and he leads them. You know, obviously there's consequences for their sin, their disobedience, um, but ultimately they do end up in the promised land. And so I mentioned, I mentioned a moment ago that, you know, God doesn't need you to acknowledge him as Lord, but the beauty 
um, of our king is that he does want you to acknowledge him as your Lord, yeah. right? He wants that relationship with you, right? Because unlike our other kings and unlike other gods, uh, little g gods, he knows you and he cares about you. He cares about you deeply, right? And that's because not only is our king, the king of kings, the preeminent one above and before all, but he is also the gentle king. So back to verse three, after it says, acknowledge that the Lord is God, he made us and we are his. His people, the sheep of his pasture. Man, we don't serve a king who is barking orders from a throne, looking down on us, and yelling at us what to do, commanding us what to do. Man, but we serve a king who is out in the pasture with us, right? He, we serve a king who is out in the pasture with us. This is why, I mean, in verse 2 when it says, serve the Lord with gladness and come before him with joyful song, we can gladly do those things, right? Because if we have experienced, we have seen who our king is, how he loves us, how he interacts with us, what he has done for us, man, it is, it is easy to serve a king like that with gladness. It's easy to come before him with joyful song because we know his heart for us, right? He's not only the king of kings, he's the gentle king. He's the good shepherd out in the pasture with us. You know, I think back uh, to my testimony. Um, for a long time, I was living a salvation by works uh, faith, basically. And um, I was so caught up in pleasing the Lord with the way that I lived my life um, that I was, uh, man, I just kind of exhausted myself. I just had this thought of, man, if I just work a little bit harder, if I just read my Bible a little bit more, if I just work on having a better prayer life, um, if I just spend more time with him, you know, if I just, um, man, stop, stop doing this and quit um, spending my time in this way, then God's going to be pleased with me. He's going to be proud of me. He's going to love me more, right? And I had, I had that, that attitude and that mindset. And like I said, man, it was just, it was exhausting because that, like, one, I can never do enough to earn his love, right? But two, he has freely given me his love and he um, has invited me into his family, right? And he hasn't looked down on me in disappointment, but he has looked at me with a, a heart of love, right? And he has cared for me deeply, right? And so it wasn't until I was in college when I finally came to that realization of like, man, I, I don't have to run the race this way. Like he has done the work for me. I can rest in Christ. I can rest in our good shepherd. And so I love the picture that John 10, verses 11 through 15, paints of the heart of Christ. He says, this is Jesus talking, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he is a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Yeah. Our shepherd, as our shepherd, Christ's demeanor towards us is not, oh my gosh, they're roaming off again, they got out of the pen, or look what they're doing now, or okay, I gotta go clean up Nick's mess again, right? And that's the way I viewed it for a long time. Walking on eggshells, 
What do I need to do to appease the king, right? That's not the way he views us, not the way he looks at his sheep, his children, right? And this makes me think of the prodigal son. And maybe this is how some of you have felt where, okay, I'm going to go back to the father, but I'm going to, I got to clean myself up first. I got to get my act together. And I'm not going to go in asking to be his son again. I'm going to go and just say, God, can I just, can I just be in your house? Can I just serve as one of your servants does, right? We have that attitude. You know, maybe, maybe you're on the other side and, uh, you know, you've been around, you've been doing all the right things. You're like the older brother though. And you haven't been serving, um, with the heart of joy or bringing him songs of gladness, but you've been serving out of uh, bitterness or contempt uh, for maybe another brother or sister or for the Lord because uh, he hasn't blessed me or acknowledged me in the way that, that I want to be acknowledged. You know, I don't, I don't know, but we find ourselves in one of those two camps a lot, I think, because we have the wrong motives or a misunderstanding of who God really is, of who Christ really is. So maybe you find yourself in one of those, those camps. But uh, uh, a quote from, uh, from Dane Ortman's book, Genuine Lowly. Um, if you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. There might be some copies back there for sale. I'm not sure. Um, but read Genuine Lowly. Great book. That's my plug for it. But this, he says right here, if you are part of Christ's own body, your sins evoke his deepest heart, his compassion and pity. He takes part with you. That is, he's on your side. Hear this part right here. He sides with you against your sin, not against you because of your sin. He hates sin, but he loves you. We understand this when we consider the hatred a father has against a terrible disease afflicting his child. The father hates the disease while loving the child. I love this part right here. Indeed, at some level, the presence of the disease draws out his heart to his child all the more. Christ hasn't written you off or been mad at you or wanted to kick you out of, out of the pen or out of the fold because of your sin, right? But he has drawn to you because of your sin, because of your brokenness. That is the heart of Christ. He doesn't look on you and say, man, where are you roaming off to? What are you doing now, right? But he follows you. He pursues you. And when I think of when I think of Christ as uh, the good shepherd, um, it brings to mind a story. Some of you guys have heard this. I know I shared it at youth group a while back. But um, when I was in college, I got to spend uh, a summer in Mozambique, Africa, on a uh, like a as a missionary intern, basically. And um, our job there was to uh, we'd go to different villages and we would bring a team in from America or South America or South Africa, and we would. Um, dig water wells and share gospel with people in the town for, in the village for about 10 days and then the team would leave. We would pack up and take our equipment and stuff to the next village and wait for the next team to come. And so we had gotten into this village one night and the team wasn't there yet but uh, they wanted us to go get another uh, local missionary who was in the next village over. Um, his name was Masongo. has nothing to do with the story. I just like his name. Um, and so they asked me to drive to the to the next village to get the to get the missionary. I was like, well, I don't I don't know where to go. And so uh, the an interpreter and the the village pastor, uh, Pastor Highway, um, got in the in the the truck with me, and they said, let's go. And so to give you an idea, there's no there's not like running water or electricity for hundreds of miles. And so we're in the middle of the African bush, the jungle basically, and it's dark out. 
And so we're driving. They're kind of telling me where to go. The whole time, they are just uh, talking in their native tongue. I'm just along for the ride, enjoying driving in Africa in the middle of the night. Cool adventure. And uh, we've been driving for about, it's about a 45-minute drive. We've been driving for about 30 minutes. Um, and we come across, um, I don't know, 50 to 100 cows um, on the road, slowly walking across. And so just kind of waiting for them to go. And just to give you an idea, there's no, they don't really have fences there. They don't have ear tags to mark the cows. They don't brand their cows. Um, and so that's important because there's just a bunch of random cows walking across. We're about 30, 30 minutes away from the village. And uh, the pastor in the back seat points and says something about the cows. And I was like, what did he say? And he said, oh, that's his bull. And uh, I was like, what do you mean? He's like, that, that's his bull. I was like, how does he know it's his? He just said, yeah, it's his. I was like, that's not an explanation, first off. Uh, but my brain was just racking. I was like, that doesn't make any sense. We're 30 minutes away. There's no, there's no fences. These cows could be anywhere. They just let them roam. You know, it's, we could go into how Mozambique does their, their cattle management, but that, that's a whole other thing. But um, at the moment, I was thinking, first I was bewildered, like, that's crazy. But then I thought, man, he knows, he knows which one is his, right? And then I also thought, I'm going to use this in a sermon one day. This is really good. So I checked that off the list. But, man, the, the same way that Pastor Highway, he, if he knows his cattle, he knows which bulls are his, which cows are his, as they roam and wander. And how much more so does God know where we are, what we're going through, what we've done, what we're going to do, right? The difference between Pastor Highway and God or well, one of one thing that's different <laughs> um, is that man God just doesn't just know where we've roamed or where we've gone off to right but He is with us and He's pursuing us and He's calling us back all the time always wooing us drawing us back in He's always going the extra mile right verse five the Lord is good His faithful love endures forever His faithfulness through all generations. God doesn't just keep tabs on us, make sure, stay in the pen, don't wander off, I'm protecting you, I'm taking care of you, man, but he is also a generous king. He's invited us on a grand adventure with him, right, and he desires us to grow, he desires us to know him, to be more like him, so that we might experience life to the full, not just so that one day we can have eternal life, we can be in heaven but so that, man, the moment we are brought into a covenant relationship with Christ, um, man, we get to experience eternal life. We get to experience the pleasures and the gifts of this life in ways that he intended it, the way that he created us to be, right? There's so much more to it than just a, a ticket on a train to heaven one day, right? We have been ushered in to kingdom life and relationship with him through his Holy Spirit. And that's the way he intended it to be. Let's not sell it short, right? I know I said he's the generous king, right? It goes without saying that he is generous with his possessions. I hope we've all experienced um, and been reminded of, you know, that our king, our Lord is the one with the cattle on a thousand hills, right? When he gives, he gives above and beyond, and there's no shortage to his wealth, to his riches, to his means, right? Like there's, it doesn't exist, right? It's infinite. He can meet those needs no problem, right? 
And I think that the quicker we realize that or we remember that everything that we have is the Lord's. He has given it to us. He has bestowed it to us. Man, I think then the more grateful, the more content, the freer we will be. And we can remember, like we were yelling at the Israelites, dude, he's going to take care of you. Just quit worrying. Relax. We can remember, this is his. He has given to me. He is going to take care of me, right? And then maybe we can become like release the the tight death grip that we have on some of our things and just become a little bit more open-handed, you know? You can sell the sweater. You can get rid of the sweater. You've had it since middle school. You haven't worn it, right? The stuff in your closet, whatever it is. I'm I'm being silly, right? But we have plenty of stuff um, that we we hold on to and grasp to. Um, But more than that, I think of how do we view our finances? How do we view our home? How do we view our vehicles? How do we view our time? What the things that the Lord has given us that we view as precious? Are we holding on to it with a closed fist? Or we have it open, knowing that the Lord has given it to us. It's not just for us. Who can I bless with? Man, when we I think when we see that the Lord is generous and he has a generous heart, he in turn starts to change us and gives us a generous heart as well. Because when we're grateful for what the Lord has given, we want others to experience it as well. Right? God is going to take care of you. So I know he's, it goes without saying, like I said, I mean, he is more than generous with his resources, right? But what I find amazing and what I love is how generous he is with himself. How he loves us, right? Verse 4, he says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. This is a really cool picture of the temple back in the day whenever they would worship um, the Lord, whenever they would go gather at the temple um, to come into his presence, to offer sacrifices, all these things. Um, It wasn't intended to be this way, but what ended up happening was there was an outer court and there was an inner court and then there was, um, you know, the Holy of Holies where um, the presence of God would reside. And so outer court, Gentiles were allowed to go into the outer court but then there was the inner court where only Jews were allowed. And then in the Holy of Holies, only the priest would go under certain occasions, right? So there's like these layers and sections of who was allowed into the temple. Verse 1, we assume this is an Israelite, a Jew, writing uh, this psalm. He says, let the whole earth shout to the Lord, right? We see an invitation for all into the inner court. All are welcome, right? We can we break down these walls of, man, anyone is welcome into the house of the Lord. Anyone is invited into the family of God. But he doesn't stop there, right? He didn't want a barrier between him and his people, between his kingdom and his people, right? So what does, what does the father do? The father generously sends the son to take our place on the cross. And then the son generously lays his life down in our place, right? And so first we have the invitation into the inner court. Not just Jews, not just Gentiles, but all are welcome in. And then he takes it a step further, pays the price for our sin, sends his son, the perfect unblemished lamb, to be sacrificed on our behalf, right? And then he welcomes us in 
to the Holy of Holies, right? And come and be in communion with me. I'm not just a king of kings. I'm not just a gentle king. I'm a generous king, and I want you to have all that is mine. The greatest of these uh, possessions is myself, is my son, Jesus. Come into my presence, right? And I think about this transaction of like what, what we get out of it. Jesus lays his life down. What he has to gain is us. He gets his people, his stinky, dirty, disobedient, frustrating. Um, try, there's a word in my head. I can't think of it. It'll come to me later. Um, sheep, stinky, dirty sheep. And what do we get? And we get, we get everything. I mentioned earlier, we get eternal life. We get to be in the presence of our Savior now and forever, right? We have much to be grateful for, right? When I think about this, about his generosity, about the way that he had loved us, the way that he has chosen to go about it, it doesn't really make any sense, right? It doesn't, doesn't compute. You think about what we get versus what the Lord gets for laying his life down, um, not a great deal for him on his end, but it points to the love that he has for us, man. What a king we have. That man, his greatest desire is that we would be with him. We would be known by him and that we would know him. We could commune with him for all of eternity. So as we close, I hope, um, and I hope we leave here today thinking about our king about who he is, not just what he's done for us, but the lengths he's gone to to let us know how loved we are, how cared for we are, and also thinking about who he is, his, his qualities, his characteristics. Um, it's, it's astounding. And then I also pray that, man, we would just be, we'd be thinking about, about him with, with grateful hearts, right? That we would think about what he's done, and in turn, he would, he would grow us in gratitude. Um, back in verse 3, when it says, know that the Lord is God. I'm sorry, it says acknowledge that the Lord is God. Other translations in the NIV, the ESV say, know that the Lord is God. Know the Lord your God. I think if I could leave us with any application today, if we want to grow, grow closer to our king, if we want to grow in an attitude or a heart of, of gratitude, um, man, we, we have to draw near to him. We have to get to know him. Not know about him, but get to know him, know who he is, know what he loves, know what he desires, know what he wants for us. We have to get to know him. We have to draw near to him. The cool thing is, man, he is not hard to find. He's done the work. He has bridged the gap we just have to turn to him, right? It's not even, he's taken 999 steps. We gotta take the last one, the thousandth, to come to him. Man, he is here. He's done the work, right? We turn to him, we accept him, and man, we rest in him. We rest in his finished work. And then, man, as we begin to know him, we get to know him again, I think our heart's natural lean will be to follow these commandments that he's given us here in Psalm 100. We can shout triumphantly to him. We can serve him with gladness. We can come before him with song. 
We can enter his gates and his courts with praise and thanksgiving. And we can give thanks to him and bless his name. Because as we get to know him, we see the lengths he's gone to, the way that he loves us. And we see he is worthy of our praise. He is worthy of our blessing. He is worthy of our thanksgiving. So for each of us, man, I encourage you, get to know him. Spend time with him. Not, not because you have to, but because he wants you to. And he wants you to go on that adventure with him. He wants you to experience life to the full. So get to know him. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Man, I thank you. I thank you for who you are. The fact that as the king and creator of the universe, you desire to know us intimately. Your heart for us is that, um, man, we would be brought into your kingdom, that would be adopted into your family. I think of what you did on the cross so that we could know you, so that we could be a part of your family. Pain and suffering unknown to any of us, Lord. Um, suffering that we, we caused for you, Lord, and you, you took it joyfully and gladly. Lord, I ask that as we reflect on that this morning, as we reflect on who you are, you would fill us with, uh, with gratitude. I know man, life is hard. We have, we have things going on that hurt, that cause pain, that cause mourning. Um, Lord, I pray that as we walk through those things as well, that we would remember, Lord, you are in control of it all. You know, you know what's coming. You know what we need. And so I pray that, Lord, if we're hurting, if we're broken, if we just feel like, man, I can't offer a praise, a joyful song right now, I pray that we would still go to you with our sorrow. We would go to you with our hurt, and we would leave it at your feet. We wouldn't leave it in our heads or, or complain to someone else, Lord, but we would, like Job, we would complain to you. We would lament to you. We would mourn to you. We would ask questions to you and trust that you have the answers. So God, we love you. We're grateful for you. Would you grow us to be more like you? And would you uh, Would you just remind us of what you've invited us into, Lord, and let us jump into it eagerly and joyfully this morning. It's in your son's name I pray.